0: Welcome back to another episode of season five of the RAG podcast. As you guys know by now, this is the number one podcast across the recruitment sector globally. And we've always been on a mission to help recruitment agencies grow by interviewing founders and telling their stories of success from startup all the way to scale up and exit. Well, this season we're a little bit different how do you as a recruitment leader and founder maintain your family and friendships whilst being the best person at work how do you stay physically fit mentally and emotionally and how do you find time for yourself in the madness how do you find time for self-interest for hobbies and self improvement well to help you with this i'm going to be interviewing someone every single week that can demonstrate experience in one or more of these areas. So I'm going to talk to recruitment founders and also some experts from outside the industry who can deep dive into things like relationships and health and well-being. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. We are on the final day of November 2022. One, I can't believe how fast this year's gone. It is insane to be thinking we're going into December tomorrow. Um, but to wrap up um, November, I've got an amazing guest for you today. I'm so excited to be joined by Amy Golden. Amy is the CEO of Opus Talent Solutions. I've mentioned this on on LinkedIn all week. This is someone who I've tried to get on. I don't know if she's even realised, but I've been messaging her pretty much for two years to be on the show. Um, and uh, we met back in 2017. i was i was inspired then by what she was trying to achieve now the business has over a thousand clients across 50 countries 300 staff eight offices uk netherlands austria australia and the us and literally i think it was last week the news hit the market that they were acquired by graphite capital who are a private equity business um i just you know i'm so excited to find out more what's the plan what's going to happen right let's get into today's session so amy will join me amy welcome to the rag podcast bye, bye. <laughs> uh great to have you on sorry i um i i we, we spent a little bit of time in the green room before we're we both working from home today and uh i've got dogs you've got all sorts coming in from different angles so <laughs> bear with us everyone listening but amy thanks for giving us your time you're a busy woman looking at what's going on in the market you're a busy person right now yeah
1: i was, I was feeling bad then when you were saying you've been trying to get me off for two years, like I've been swerving you, but it's been <laughs> like, I haven't, I promise. It's, it's probably been the weirdest, most intense two years of of my life ever, like the combination of things that's happened, so. I'll
0: tell you what, I'm not going to take it personally. That's
1: all.
0: <laughs> I'm all right, I'm a big boy, I can handle it. Um, but look, for those of people who don't know you, um could you just give us a, a, an introduction, a, be- a better overview than I did you justice for just then?
1: Um. Yes, yeah, so um, my name's my name's Amy, as as you know, um, and I'm currently running a company called Opus Talent Solutions. Um, Opus ta- Talent Solutions is um, at its heart a, a recruitment company, and we've got three brands,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and we are very very tightly focused on technology, digital, and renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so our three brands are Opus RS, which is our technology and digital recruitment brand, and that's been going for, for thirteen years. Um, we've got JDR Energy, which is our renewable energy brand. Um, it's the only global recruitment company um, that focuses 100% on renewable energy rather than wow. old energy. Um, and then we've got Nology, which is our newest brand. Um, and that's essentially a retraining, um, a diversity and retraining company. Um, you know, we, we, the markets we work in are so candidate short. Um, and struggle with diversity as well. We've got a 1,000 clients uh, globally all asking for the same thing. Um, and, you know, having having run Opus for, uh, for a few years, I was just getting frustrated that all our clients were saying, we need more tech people, better tech people. Oh, and if they can be a woman or, you know, ethnic minority, that would be great. Mm. I'm thinking, well, first of all, like we can't just magic these people out of thin air. But actually, even more importantly, all of these companies saying they're trying to, Solve a problem and improve the, the the industry. And actually, what you're really asking for is for me t- to take a female developer from another company and give it to you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you've solved a problem, and they've created a problem. You're not, you know, as as the people working across companies, yeah. we. I felt like we need to be the person to to solve the problem on a on a bigger scale. So wow. the so the basis of of knowledge. Um, is that we find people that never thought they could go into tech, um, from all sorts of different backgrounds that don't have traditional science backgrounds, tech backgrounds, retrain them um and then place them uh, into our clients. Wow. So those those are our three brands. Um that's what we're all we're all working on at the moment. And that's what I I do now. Yeah. So it
0: really is talent solutions. It's not just the recruitment business. There's more to it, which is uh you'd expect that of a business of Your sort of size and scale but there's still so many that just do the traditional routes of bums on seats they don't they don't venture out into anything they they don't they've not done before
1: yeah and i think you know there's still a place for that and i think especially if you're in the right industries Mm -hmm. i think you have to there's so many recruitment companies out there We, we we know that um and the job market is so hot at the moment but i think that's quite weighted towards industry now like the landscape looks pretty different I started in recruitment in 2013 um and
0: how did you get into it because you weren't the traditional route were you
1: no um well most people say they fell into recruitment right okay. I I didn't actually I I chose recruitment but my um my first kind of proper job I did a lot of weird jobs growing up but my first I guess like the first thing I put on LinkedIn um is that I I worked at Deloitte for about five years when I was really? when I just graduated and I did strategy and mergers and acquisitions. And um, mm-hmm. so it's fantastic business training. Um, really, really learned a lot. Um, but after five years, I had that sort of, you know, that mid-twenties angst of like, who am I? What am I doing? Like, what <laughs> is consulting? No one knows. Um, and I ended up taking a job as a business advisor to uh james Kahn who made all his money in recruitment yeah. um how did but-
0: you get that job how did you get how did you go from deloitte to that <laughs> well, it's quite a, this it's
1: yeah route. this is this is how most of my life's worked and i i never oh my goodness
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is live podcasting yeah, everyone that's yeah. my marketing
1: director and she does this she just tries to call me on um on like zoom and then she'll do it like three times now I swear she'll just not she won't not take the hint so the marketing
0: um, director needs to know that yeah we're on, on my marketing
1: doesn't know we're on a live podcast <laughs> it's worrying yeah. I should probably love it.
0: that go on. <laughs> bit
1: better um so um
0: so you said I said how did you get in with James Kahn how did that happen
1: yeah so um so I never had a planned route I guess I never had a planned out career and I knew I just wanted to get out of consulting. I knew I wanted to do something more hands-on, um, less sort of generalist. Um and I was applying for so like I can't tell you how many different things I applied for that. I must have been about 25. Mm. Um I had just come back from doing a yoga instructor retreat. I was like, I'm gonna oh, wow. get business, I'm gonna be a yoga instructor. I, like went to Bali for a few months, I, like did a yoga okay. yoga instructor qualification. Um I was applying for jobs in travel, jobs in media, like so many different things. And a job just came up on um Escape the City to be James Kahn's PA.
2: Right.
1: And I was like, I've been in consulting for five years. It was like a massive, I guess, backward step in terms of pay and and that kind of thing but i was like well that sounds like a that would be an interesting opportunity and I, I also i didn't really think it was real like you know we need yeah. to see <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: so i applied literally 10 minutes later i was sitting at my desk got a call um hi you know would you want to come in an interview for this pa role i was like oh wow this is really happening okay um but anyway i i went to interview and it was very clear that um that wasn't right role for me and they already basically filled it anyway but they thought my profile was interesting um and it ends up basically just being like a, a period of three or four months going in and having conversations with different people in that private equity fund mm. and sort of showing the value like, like they sort of put something in front of me and saying like we're working on this deal at the moment what do you think or how would you present this or would you invest in this and you know my background was all strategy and investment um and they were mostly from sort of recruitment backgrounds and yeah. um and after about like I think it must have been like two months of these meetings, I literally turned around to him and I said, Look, are you offering me a job or am I just turning up to these meetings for, for free from <laughs> for anymore? And he was like, Yeah, good point. So they kind of created a role for me. And it was it was almost like a you've got six months. So I sort of left this very, very safe corporate job where I knew my exact path yeah. and I Earning quite good money, and I knew like every yeah. year what my pay rise would be. Um, for me, like I think a lot of people like that security. That I hated it. Yeah, you know? you couldn't handle that. Yeah, and I took a I took a pay cut. I took you know I was like I took a job which was a six month contract essentially mm. for a lower salary, which was basically like you make something off this. So my title was James Kahn's business advisor, which is you know. I did you actually good.
0: have his Did you have his name in your title
1: on my business card Business advisor to James. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wonder if I could get there one day. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Have my own, have my own people working. Have my, have my name in their job title. That'd be cool.
1: Yeah, position's (laughs) open, I believe. Um, And yeah, just, just um, really got stuck in and and played much more into my strengths, like being able to be a bit more entrepreneurial, being closer to the kind of the the action. Um and interestingly, the first thing I got involved in at that company was selling a group of recruitment companies, um, which was at the time called H now called Engage, to Graphite Capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The companies that's recently invested in us. So I kind of became aware of Graphite then um and also learned a lot about recruitment. Um, you know, I'd done a few recruitment MA deals at Deloitte. Um, And, you know, really learn about recruitment, not necessarily from a doing recruitment perspective, but from a kind of what like there's 40,000 recruitment businesses out there, only 1% of them ever get investment. Yeah. And, you know, some of that, like some of that investment is like one founder buys it off another or, you know, like it gets merged into something and it's not necessarily even like a big, you know, um, paycheck investment. So I got to know a lot about what. Takes a recruitment business from being like a lifestyle business to being a proper, scalable, investable business. Yeah. Um, With that knowledge, I started my own company in 2014 um, with the investment of of Hamilton Bradshaw as a private equity company. Mm. Um, And that was called Recruitment Entrepreneur. Yeah. So basically saying look we know how to scale these companies we know how to make them investable um let's take the best people of those forty thousand, the ones that don't want a lifestyle business because actually i think a lot of times in recruitment people talk about lifestyle businesses as if like they snit like oh it's, yeah it's, it's you know, like a
2: negative business. thing
1: but i think that do you know yeah. what and especially like since the pandemic becoming a parent and and things like that i actually <laughs> think one of the the things I love about recruitment so much is it's, it's, and the reason I chose it as an industry is that it gives opportunity to anyone that wants it. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your education, doesn't matter what exactly it is that you want. Like you can, if you've got the desire and the talent and the drive, you can make it fit your needs. Uh, And so I think actually the fact that you can have amazing lifestyle businesses in recruitment is great. But there are people out there that want to build structures and processes and hiring and training and finance and all that stuff, which makes it a lot more complicated. Um, so the idea of Recruitment Entrepreneur was that we had a hub, um, an office hub, really nice offices, proper systems, you know, proper CRMs, proper finance team. We'd find super ambitious people and sort of plug them in.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: and brands. Um, so yeah, back in 2013, so this story's kind of come full a little but back in 2013 when i started um it was for me more about that sort of efficiencies rather than the specific sector because i think there was still a lot, a lot of room in a lot of sectors back then for growth you know we weren't far out of like it was you know the 2008 recession was like 2013 was like the year everything really kicked up a gear yeah. again yeah,
2: yeah.
1: um and then I think by 2016, I'd started to really want to focus in on tech. Um, and I also wanted, I felt like I kind of grew up doing like when I started recruitment when I was 26 or 27. Wow. I run a business before. I I didn't, I'd not worked in recruitment before. <laughs> um and actually the 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 opus opportunity came up for me at the end of about 2016. And Opus was a completely different beast, really, because whereas my last business, I've been like, right, I know how to make a business scalable, and I know how the processes that should go into it, and I know what an investor's looking for. By the by, the end of that sort of by then, I'd been in recruitment for a few years, and I also understood recruitment and like the opportunities um, in it. And Opus, to me, was a business I'd always had on my radar because it was the fastest growing recruitment business that I knew of that had never taken any investment that um, had never like it was still sort of being run by the founders and they got it for in the sort of first eight years to like 150 people um, already had global offices um, and it was really 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 fast growth. and I first went in there initially just to do a, a short consulting project for the owner, um, the founder Darren. Mm. Yeah. We, we were quite good friends, and I said, "Look, I'll have a look for you at um, at what what you know what I think of of, of um, what's going on underneath the bonnet." And it was just the, like it was if we had the same goal and the same growth ambitions, and we were growing at roughly the same speed. Like you can't have got there from two more different ways. Really. You know? That had very much been about four friends you know with a couple of years recruitment experience between them getting in a room hitting the phones um being like what's the hottest market right it's 2008 they started right so right in the middle of like yeah the, the height of the recession and they're like if anyone's hiring anyone now what is it they're like app developers <laughs> if you're hiring someone now it's an app developer so they're like right let's just do app developers and that's how it started and um, you Know whereas I had a build it and they will come platform like everything perfect, like now let's hope we can generate some revenue because yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They were like, We've got all this revenue and no systems or processes to hold so it. That,
0: that's what the majority of the industry looks like, though, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's all 99% of the business I know of a Darren Lionel yeah. esque where they've you know, absolutely, they've been, they've been but performed.
1: very, very few businesses managed to get to the scale Opus had, um,
0: without the structure.
1: Well, at all, and especially yeah. not especially just as like an entrepreneurial kind of yeah. um uh endeavour. So I just like the, the So
0: what did you walk into? What did it honestly like? As honest <laughs> as you can be, what was it like when you walked in? What did you, what did you when you looked at that bonnet? What did you find?
1: There there's some very funny stories about my first day that I'll tell you offline. Uh-huh. Um but it was it was like beautiful chaos, like so much energy, yeah. so much drive, so much ambition, so much fun, so much um, like just everyone had a shared goal. Like everyone knew that they were going to be the best and yeah. they were in the best company and that like so collaborative and so, um, you know, everyone was willing to help each other. Um, and it was just like, and like I say chaos, I mean, it, it, it was, it didn't feel like that, like, because the systems and processes and the way that they recruit at Opus has always been like, the training's always been incredible, like the, the speed they get trainees up and running, that kind of thing. It was the, the, the sort of back office part that was, you know, there wasn't whole sort of marketing teams, HR teams, finance teams, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and actually I think it had started to lose its way slightly with the strategy. And mm-hmm. so one of the things, you know, one of the, the trends at that time was multiple investments, you know, buy and build. And like, that's what I'd started at recruitment entrepreneur because when I'd started it in 2013, that had been the right market for that. Yeah. Come yeah. 2017 when I was really Opus, you know, Darren said oh you know you've got experience in making you know investments you know should we be doing that and actually I looked at what they had and what they were good at and I was like you need to be doing exactly the opposite um you know they how had do you,
0: how do you know that Like, what are you looking for like, not many of us have that skill set to know well, what are you looking yeah, for um like-
1: well, so first of all interviewing every senior person in the business like having a really kind of asking everyone the same questions, like, and trying to come, like, asking everyone, you know, I had like an interview program, so I spoke to every, every key member of the business, back office, front office, Um, I spoke to trainees, I spoke to every director, Um, some of them have been there 10 years, well, eight years, eight years old, Um, some of them have been there one year, you know, about what their experience was, and then just looking at all the numbers inside out, like, you know, breaking it down by person, by team, by, um by brand like what is the productivity per head like what and like from an internal perspective and then what does that market what's the growth of that market um and what opus were brilliant at was tech um and actually energy was uh, the energy company had started a year before that um and actually tapping into these future markets really understanding candidate short, short markets in really high grade sectors, so a sweet spot because they run so fast. Mm. Like first, the job was in the morning. Like the activity levels, the the kind of focus, and I always describe it as you know the tech market and the the renewables market are like treadmill. Like they're so mm. fast. It's like you walk into a gym and the treadmill's going at mm. twenty miles an hour. Like if you're already if you're already on it. It's just keeping up the pace, keep up the pace. If you lose your focus, or you lose your concentration, you've, you've, you're off the back, yeah, try yeah, get yeah. onto to that treadmill. Like it's impossible. Yeah. So and that is people say there's no barriers to entry and recruitment in markets like tech and markets like, like energy that we play in trying to get into it when it is that fast moving, you know, like there's if you look at, a, a you know, a Java role in central London perm role, it's like a contract market, you're not. Mm. You're not going to have a five-stage, three-week interview process. Like if mm. you don't, if that, if that candidate comes on the job board in the morning with their CV, if you if you don't, if you haven't found them by eight AM, they're gone. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So the, the 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 core and focus of what we're good at is knowing our like that niche niche knowledge of those in sectors that are quite new. Keeping up to date with those sectors, knowing every candidate in those sectors when they want to move, when they last moved, you know what their dog's called, like everything. And actually by expanding into all of these other sectors that were low growth sectors, slower markets, slower, cl- like it ju- it didn't translate and it was mm. also not where the growth was gonna come from. Yeah. So we made the decision rather than to invest in more things, take it all back to bare basics. And that's why at the beginning of the podcast, wow. those three brands that we've got now, which are just those sectors.
0: I wanna mention our sponsors really quickly today. Um, Everyone knows Odro. I don't need to introduce Odro for who they are—the video interview absolute specialist and number one in the in the market. Um, I wondered if anyone had seen the video that Odro produced on LinkedIn this week. They Ryan and the team put together a video that announced their they had a party to announce their new uh, framework, Um, and I thought it was just amazing. So the framework is basically when you're using video technology, it's not just about interviewing anymore. There's so many elements from BD attraction engagement aftercare so many parts of the recruitment process that you can use video to enhance your performance um and they've they've named it the framework they created the sickest video this week on linkedin i loved it It actually made me jealous i don't have an office anymore Um, if you haven't go and check out ryan mccabe and the odro guys on linkedin watch that video if you're interested to know how the framework and their suite of tools can help you then please reach out via odro.co.uk forward slash demo and they will get you in before Christmas and find out more. Did you close any business lines off and stop? Stop yeah. things?
1: Yeah, it was. It was a hard couple of years. Like it really was because, especially when you're moving into someone, you know, Opus had been built on personality and like run by the founder and everyone. Yeah. Darren was such a great leader. Everyone loved working for him. It was a really fun place to be. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to take over the reins unless I had the support of the company. Mm. Um and I but I also didn't want to run someone else's business their way. <laughs>
0: mm.
1: So it's a really hard balance, right? A really hard couple of years having to make those big decisions and keep people
0: did you ever get to a point where Darren didn't agree or he he didn't want you to know what it?
1: like Darren's actually was it's always been an amazing business partner because he knew it was time that he needed someone else to run it like he'd done his sprint he loved the startup phase it was getting to the point where he knew it was about implementing processes and all that stuff that he would say was you know really boring (laughs) (laughs) um and he was like obviously it's really it is really hard to step back and let go but he always said there's literally no point me asking you to do this if i'm gonna ask you to do it my way i might as well do it myself Mm. and it's like I'm always. I'm often going to disagree, maybe with the way you do things or how you get there or whatever. But the day that I, the day I overrule you is the day I fire you.
2: Hmm.
1: Like there's no point if I agree with if I want you to run it your way and I agree you're going to get there. There's no point me nitpicking nitpicking over all the small decisions. I shall never get there. Yeah. Um, So so,
0: so that's something people there's been others that have said they'll do that and then they struggle. Like it takes you look at football, look at, I know you might not be interested or you may be, but like, why do you you
1: say?
0: Well, yeah, (laughs) you're right. There's a stereotype there, right? That's, that's, that's on me. But the point is I don't want to use an example straight away that you may or may not be interested in, but Man United is a football team. Alex Ferguson, everyone seems familiar with him. You know, there was eight, nine years since he left. And, there's a rumour, there's a lot of rumours that he's still in the background now overriding decisions, you know. Even the the, the decision to bring Cristiano Ronaldo in last two months ago. Terrible
1: decision. Yeah,
0: I think so. It's took away, I mean, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer had a team. He had his own way of doing it. I don't think he's great, but they finished second in the league. A couple of months later, Ronaldo's going to Man City, Ferguson makes a call, forces him into the club, and hey, presto. Oh,
1: it's such a, that, that particular example is such a... Good example for I think how a lot of particular a lot of companies I think particularly recruitment companies or maybe I'm saying particularly recruitment companies that's the industry I yeah. know do so well. When I first got into the industry, how they were allowed to run, which is like built on stars. Yeah, and even if that star is a fucking asshole,
2: they're yeah, in the they they score
1: they go- goals so that in. But one person scoring goals can't make you win the league. No. And if that person doesn't. Share with the team and like the team isn't happy you're not going to win either way we are not know how many goals they score
2: yeah and
1: i think that's something that i've really had to learn over the i guess i've been sort of running
0: some company. big egos in recruitment as well isn't it with mean, those people they typically they're the loudest they're the most opinionated um you know they're yeah. difficult to manage
1: god yeah and like the decision to you know to like not hire someone or to exit someone who's good is almost impossible like that's such a big call but um yeah I think that sort of team above individual is a really big thing and I think that's becoming more and more you know the it was becoming sort of more popular anyway but I think the pandemic really shifted towards this idea of you know what do your people actually need and looking after people and you know places where everyone feels comfortable to work um but i always describe opus as like a high performance sports team mm. because it's you know it's it's not a fact like when businesses say oh we're like a family i always find that a bit hard to swallow because it's like yeah. you know no matter how drunk my sister was at christmas i can't i'm not gonna fire like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so um I think it's because like it is it is that feeling of like, we want to be the best as a team. And to be the best as a team, we have to collaborate. We have to share ideas. We have to pass the ball to each other. Like we yeah. have to, um, you know, and we all have to raise the game for each other, call each other up when we're, you know, we're not putting in enough. Like yeah. when we are. And that's the only way you're going to win. But then once you've won, everyone still wants man of the match. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the environment we try and create where it's team first and success as a team first. And then once you've achieved that, you still need that individual drive to also be, you know, the top of that.
0: <laughs> I get that. Um, it's a balance, it's a real balance in that. Yeah. What, I've got two questions in my head and I don't want to ask them at the same time, right? But what the first question is, and it might be a better question later, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Do you think you could have done what you've done had you worked in recruitment for five years has a and not done the the, the route through Deloitte and into MA? Like, would you be the person without that? I mean, might maybe it's a silly question, but would you be the leader you are without that background?
1: That's a really good question. Um there's no way I would have done it so young. Could have done it so young. Um I think you can learn on the job, like so much of it is learning on the job. Um, but in, Deloitte,
0: I- in 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 Deloitte, I imagine you would have been parachuted into so many different brands, met so many people, listened, consumed information, turned it around, presented back skills that you need at the top of a business that you you just don't learn in a in a, on a desk necessarily the same way
1: yeah and sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees a little bit like when you're in a role and you're like climbing the ladder I think you know you you need to be able to see things from both sides and I think what that first five years gave me was kind of the ability to be able to see something from the top because as you say like when you're starting out in consulting like one month I'd be working on a newspaper project, the next month I'd be working on a hydraulic lift business. And those are two actual examples. Um, So you have to be able to almost put the industry aside, the product and be like, right, where are the, what does this business do? Like, what's the vision? What's it good at? Where are the red flags? Where are the quick wins? Where are the longer, like, where's, Let's look at the market it plays in. Who are its competitors? What's going on in that market? Is this business driving in the right direction or the wrong direction for the market? What's its like? What makes this business better than its competitors? What should we? Because actually, it's not. There's in recruitment. There's like thirty things you could be excellent at, from a like recruitment process point of view. You know, it's either you know your market knowledge or your you know, your productivity or your margins or your, you know, whatever whatever it is. Like there's so, but if everyone was brilliant at everything, every business would be exactly the same. Yeah, true. And sometimes people think strategy is about like trying to be like trying to be good at everything. And actually a a lot of it's about deciding what not to do. Like, and you know how so often with like performance reviews and stuff, you'll sit down with your manager and they'll say, oh, you're five out of five in these three things and two out of five in these things. So let's put loads of effort into those things you're bad at and actually sometimes from a business perspective you need a bare minimum of sort of capability in everything but then actually if there's five things you're like a 10 out of 10 at why not put your focus there and be yeah. the best in the world at those things um
0: it's a bit like a bit like the analogy around people as well isn't it like i know my, my my first mentor I wouldn't say he's a mentor he's just someone who inspired me at Randstad in Melbourne cackle Paul's out and he talked about how he left a brand early on in his career because he was the top performer in the team really motivated but you know they put no effort into him because he was performing well they just put all the time into the people that were at the bottom who were just churning over and he's yeah. like and he ended up when he left they were like wow like what's wrong is that well, you've not spoken to me for six months. Like you've not invested anything in me cause I'm yeah. doing well. And it's a bit like that. We always focus on worst case, worst thing. And we could be pushing the best people. Even, yeah. even there's like, people. there's like a
1: stat, like a management stat that you tend to spend, managers t- spend, t- tend to spend 80% of their time with the 20% of the bottom people. Yeah. Actually a but little yeah. bit of time spent with the good people could make them like so much better um but yeah that is it, it's it's that is a really hard balance to strike but um
0: so the question around could you have done it leads me into the the next question is like are we looking in our sector because i think there's so many brands that would benefit from someone like you coming in from a slightly outside perspective are we looking at it the wrong way do you think would, 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 it, would more recruitment companies benefit from thinking could we go and find some management consultants or to come in and, and add value in the business as opposed to just um, developing organic talent all think, the same from the same.
1: I, I think it's hard because as you say, quite a lot of recruitment businesses are founder run. Mm.
0: Um,
1: so at what point does that, per- like, you know, I think Darren was very, very brave to say I'm not, like, it's very rare that after eight years of running your own business when it's going really well to say I'm not the person anymore. Mm. is actually quite, like, quite unusual. Um. But I, I've always looked for experience outside of the sector, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't have to be your CEO, mm. right? but I think it's really important that you consider, it's like any kind of diversity, like, people understand now that diversity isn't a HR issue it's a business issue and like Mm. the reason that diversity is is beneficial isn't just to give people an opportunity which is important but it's also it makes your business better if you have you know lots of different backgrounds lots of different ways of thinking lots of different um you know lots of different educational backgrounds cultural backgrounds all of that stuff and that's what that's what we base knowledge on so we sell that to our clients we have to be doing that ourselves too surely
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: um and and i think if you look at your company and you're getting stuck at the you know a lot of recruitment companies they get they do really well they get to 20 they get go back to 15 they get 25 they go back to 20 they get to 25 they go back to 22 or 30 or whatever those numbers are yeah you're
0: right up 30 yeah. tends to be a bit of a sticking yeah.
1: and i think if you're in that spot no matter whether you're 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people, if you're in that spot where you can't shift, look around at your top team and how much, like, is everyone? Because, you know, some, one of the things, like, one of the reasons I think Darren decided it was time for him to move on from Opus was that he said, like, he said himself, we started as a Sunday league team, like, we started as five a side in the park, mm. and now we're getting to the Premier League. And it's like we've had to hire premier league players but we've also still got like so rather than 11 players we've got 20 (laughs) (laughs) and actually a lot i think a lot of recruitment companies because they started small started fans led blah 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 started with a group of mates you naturally want to you want to promote those people you want to give those people a chance and sometimes the idea of parachuting in a consultant if it's done badly it can be yeah yeah, yeah. but then look around and are you know to put it in really basic terms, is your entire leadership team 10, um, you know, 10 white guys all the same age who have always, always been in recruitment. Yeah. And even if they even if they're not all men and they're not all white, have they all always been in recruitment? Or are they all salespeople? Um, you know, because diversity is not just about um race or gender or any of that stuff. It's also about experience and just any kind of difference. And so, you know, make sure, so I make sure that on my board, I have as many, like I have salespeople and non-salespeople on my board, which was a little bit, um, uh, sort of not necessarily the norm, like to, to elevate people, like your marketing director or your people director to the same yeah. sort of level as your sales directors, um, you know, and those people are from different industries, like don't always hire Oh, I need a I need a I need a marketing person. Let's go through my top five competitors and try and steal one of their marketing people. Well, why? Because what do you want to do your marketing like them? Or mm. you know, so I just think, you know, our, our marketing director was the VP of um VP of marketing for Sony Music. Mm. And her job was literally to make people famous. She made Alicia Keys famous. She worked with Kings of Leon. Like And recruitment is such a people game. We want to make our brand famous. We want to make our clients, you know, help us make our clients famous. People want to work there. Like, not just, oh, let's get Hydrogen's second-in-command marketing person to come over and write blogs about recruitment on LinkedIn. Um, You know, so I think...
0: um... What you're saying is... is Diversity is is more than just a tick box exercise. It, it adds significant value yeah. across the business.
1: Yeah, what? The question. No, I don't think every recruitment company should be helicoptering in a, a, consul- a management consultant, but I do think like look around your team and
0: question whether question. or not. Yeah, it's like yeah. I, used recruit, I used to recruit in the insurance market, which is the Lloyd's London insurance market. It's famous for being incredibly like backwards in terms of technology like they literally still walk or they did until the pandemic into the lloyd's building every day and rubber stamp and sign documents that that like will ensure like tutankhamun going from egypt to australia right and it's it's done on in written hand paper and you know they claim that they you know they're trying to they're trying to just put an electronic trading system in this was only a few years ago but then when they go out to their tech provider to find tech people they find them from all the other companies in the market so they're not They're not. And then when you say go out, we used to say go outside to banking or companies that have, you know, complex trading platforms. Now they don't understand the market. So you're like, you know, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it?
1: If you're. Yeah. So how are you innovating? Like if you're just building something that someone else has built, but five years later.
0: No, it's not innovation. So you've mentioned a couple of things there. I want to get on to a couple of other topics, but if you would look at the, the, the time at Opus, the four to five years or so, I can't believe we met in September 2017 when I came in to meet you. And it's gone, like, Hoxha was six months old, not even six months old. It's gone. How so much
1: long, happened in that time? Oh my God. It's nuts.
0: It's literally nuts. But what would you say are the kind of pivotal changes you've made on like a high level, of, without going into loads of detail, what are the kind of statement changes? So one would be the board and the bringing in like, you know, people from other industries? What other things do you think you've implemented over that time that you're proud of?
1: Yeah, I think I think the sector focus was a massive thing. Like there was 13 brands at Opus when I joined, um, we took that down to two, and then wow. added one in knowledge. So yeah, we're now three brands. Um, and we've gone so now we've been able to go super deep into our clients and into those things that we do. Um, mm. And as a result, the work we do with our clients um, has like the, what we're doing with our clients is so much more interesting because we we were a massive like candidate led um, BD heavy company and we're still brilliant at that but it's almost like you do the hard work and then move on. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: And actually now that we are so much niche specialists in these markets um, we've got you know clients we work with and we do all of their recruitment for them Um, and not just their recruitment but their solution around talent so you know why are you struggling to hire people in the market like let's come in and help work with your internal teams on your interview process you know work on your you know we'll do dni lectures or like seminars for our for our client hiring teams um you know help them with their kind of people planning and do all of their hiring you know like they want to get from They've just got series a funding they want to get from 10 people to 50 like let's partner with you and help you get like that's the goal to get to 50 mm. people not to hire one person this week because how do those yeah. people fit together what are the different skill sets you need um so i think that's set to focus and the way we work with clients and the things we do whether that's through you know we've we've got clients now that we work with the same client in australia in england contract knowledge training everything for one client um and we we didn't do that before because we were trying to do too many things right um, so i think it yeah so i think it was the sort of looking at the strength and the breadth of the the skill sets in our in our leadership team um focusing in on those two core future sectors with the energy as well as i said like we made the decision back in 20, 17, 2018 we saw the growth of renewables um, and it was at that point we were already doing pretty we we're doing quite a lot of business in energy and we're like if we don't pivot now it's going to get too hard and we want to be a company that does good mm-hmm. <laughs> um, whether that's through our diversity programs through knowledge whether that's through working in sustainable energy um we plant a tree, every time we place a contractor we plant, we plant a thousand trees this year for every contractor wow. that, we, that we that we placed um and so we made a really bold decision to literally cut off millions of pounds of of income and start again in renewables because we're like if we don't do it now it's going to be too late um, And massive. i think there's a, lot, there's a lot of energy companies they have got massive massive books of of um traditional energy and they are trying to add renewable divisions on but it's that's quite a hard story i think because it's like either you care about this stuff or you don't
0: yeah you're yeah. staring down the barrel of a gun as well in terms of the way the world's moving um yeah. so um, you, you got on board with the modern technology yeah. the way of working what where did graphite get involved then so how's that you know you mentioned briefly you you know when i don't know tim i interviewed tim cook and we talked a lot about the the move to engage but yeah. what how did they come back on the scene and what, what is this acquisition um, going to do for the business?
1: Well, it actually, you know, it was always in our plan to take on a partner. So like, first of all, obviously for, if you're the founder of a business and you've stepped away from it completely, mm-hmm. like, of course you want to realize some value for that asset because otherwise you've got all of your money tied up in something you've got no control over. It's stressful. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um.
1: So the goal, like obviously one of the reasons Darren brought me in, in the first place was to make the company valuable. Um, to be able to get investment. But timing wise, we really weren't expecting it because COVID, you know, was a hard year. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, whilst, because we, like, you know, the, the changes we'd made to focus on these sectors, we always knew it was, we were doing it because of where the market was going anyway. COVID just brought all that five years forward. So like we were incredibly lucky that we'd made those changes. Um, because I think that, you know, in terms of tech and energy, like every like everyone was hit in April, May, June last year, when no one knew what was going on and people thought it might only last a couple of months, no mm. one was firing. You know. Yes. Start dates got pushed back, no one wanted to onboard remotely, they'd never done it before, there was no yeah. point, we'd all be back in the office in two months, blah, blah, blah. So I think no matter what sector you're in, hiring in, you know, Q, Q2 of 2020 was through the floor. Yeah. But because of the sectors we're in, I think it's, people started to realise this is actually how things are going to be for a while now, and actually we can onboard remotely and maybe some of there's some positives in some of this, you know, our, our sectors started to pick up pace quite quickly and actually now have continued at a pace that was even faster than pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were, we were very sort of lucky with that, but we still had a bad, like overall our 2020 was, you know, not the growth year we'd expected. (laughs) Um, and so we came into 2021 thinking, right, this is a rebuild year. And actually everything that we'd done, all the work we'd done on neatening up our processes, making sure our back office work, the sector focus, we've been in the focus on the things that matter even more now, you know, um, increasing the tech skills market the diversity the renewables everything it just felt like it all fell into place um and we made a lot of i think good decisions during the pandemic about around how we looked after our people and putting people first and the move to work from home and um i was actually very good timing went on maternity leave in February 2020.
0: Wow, <laughs> that is perfect.
1: Um, so when, yeah, whenever anyone looks at our graphs, Q2 2020 dip, I was like, That's because I went on maternity leave.
0: Yeah, forget COVID because <laughs> I wasn't around.
1: No, you can cope without me. Um,
0: but, um, so you said that you, you is everyone completely at home, or how have you managed it now?
1: Um, so like we, what we we did a kind of a big engagement survey around this time last year Mm. to make sure that we were not assuming anything like, do people now want to work from home? Do they not want to work from home? Like, so we we sort of asked people (laughs) what they wanted. Um, And actually, I think one of the things that I've really tried to put a lot of emphasis on in the last year or so is about that mutual respect, like trusting people um, and expecting that. I guess that back and that's a two way relationship. And I think during COVID, like, we put our trust in people and like, put our arms around people and made sure you know, we we topped up furlough to 100%. Like we never ever did pay cuts or commission freezers, bonus freezes, anything like that. Like, we put on training people for training for anyone that was on furlough. Like, and actually, like, you know, did a really kind of smooth work from home, all that kind of stuff. And people really like responded. So well, and like the way that people worked, and people just got on with it, and it, that sort of sports team mentality of like, everyone going for the same goal and wanting the same thing, like mm. really, it was like the blitz mentality, right? And like, I think, for us, it really solidified that we're all on the same, I guess, on the same path on the same side. And um, and yeah, so we sort of said, "Well, like, we trust you. You guys have done an incredible job working from home all year in your pajamas, whatever. Like, what do you want?" Um, so every all of our offices are slightly different. It depends how they work, how you know how small the team is, how um, how far away they live, like how young they are, what responsibilities they've got at home, all that kind of stuff. But um, generally, we ask people to be in two days a week yeah. for that team bonding. And like they, people tend to pick the same days or at least teams pick the same days. And then the other days they can do what they want. I think
0: from from my experience of, you know, I'm working with two and a half thousand recruiters now and I talk to them about this stuff and variety is the one word that comes out. Like what we lost in the pandemic was variety. We lost decision-making ability. We, we were forced into one way of working. Hmm. Before the pandemic, we didn't have much variety in this sector. Everyone was five days a week. You might have had a some companies did a dress down day once a month on a Friday or on a Friday. There's a couple yeah. of, you know, working from home was giving someone a laptop and saying, you know, if you really have to go home, you can, <laughs> but we're going to watch you <laughs> and monitor, uh, but variety now I think is genuinely embedded in the, in the culture of majority of our, of our, our sector, which is great. Um, so, Moving on to the graphite, what does that mean then? So what's what's going to happen now? Now that they've the news has come out, what does that mean yeah. for the business well, Where are you? Do
1: you know what? Like, for, in terms of day to day, like very little should change because they're investing in our plan. Like right. we, yeah, we weren't looking for investment. I went end up going for a coffee with 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 someone from graphite, and uh, you know, sort of, and it all happened very quickly. You know, we were it's about like May June time, and I was like, you know, we even a month ago, we were like, we'd had an okay Q1, you know, better than we'd expected coming Mm. out of the pandemic. That was sort of it. And then from sort of May onwards, things just got, it's just one record after another. Every month's a record month. Like, it's just so much excitement, so much like, and it's not, and it wasn't even just the numbers going up, all the things that we'd planned, whether it was you know, our, our market sectors, our focus on clients, on solutions, on, on knowledge, like everyone just its just clicking for everyone. Like all of this mm-hmm. stuff that we spent years putting in place, it all just started clicking. Um, and when I was exp- like, you know, like you sometimes you just don't take time to reflect on what you've done. I remember having this coffee, it's supposed to be like a half hour coffee. I, we were in, I was there for like two and a half hours and just going through what we'd achieved and where we'd come from and what we were doing now and I was like wow this sounds really impactful <laughs> <laughs> well, it um, and they obviously thought the same because like yeah. the next day they're like do you want to go for lunch and I was like
2: yeah.
1: playing it cool um, and, uh, and yeah it just it started off literally within like three conversations they were like look we're interested yeah. like are you looking you know so I had a conversation with Darren I was like this has just come out of nowhere but you know, we've like, they've got so much experience in our sector, they really believe in our plan. So on a kind of day to day, nothing should change. But what we do have now is a company that has, like, in the same way that Darren brought me in, because I had experience in things he didn't, like, the thing that's great about Opus is that we give we try to give people as much opportunity as possible. So a lot of people are like, I think some of the best, like, you know, I think the people that work at Opus are the best in the industry and even outside the industry, but we still only know what we know. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: And the amazing thing about having Graphite as a partner and taking on that kind of, I guess, that more sort of institutional investor rather than just because again, Darren was amazing, but he'd even run a, you know, he'd sort of stepped back so long ago that even now I was like, well, you know, you, your experiences from that, like five years ago and yeah, from a small yeah, company. Yeah. Um, so we just felt like we were having the same conversations over and over again and then you know just going with our gut feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the, the the you know the plan is very much to focus on um carrying on with our international, like focusing into you know, staying with tech and um renewables, um really focusing on our like our USPs and our our that sort of social impact stuff that we're re- really focused on now as well, whether that's your, our, you know, what we do for our clients or what we're doing internally. Um, and, you know, we, when I joined, we had about 20% of our revenue was international. It's now 60%. Great. So really like going into new markets that like we opened two us offices last year. Um, so yeah, it's sort of just growing every office, um, hiring, um growing out our client solutions team and like connecting all the bits of the business so we are doing more and more like working together across the world to give our clients solutions rather than just individual hires um and they've and they've backed that plan so they but they have knowledge of other countries they have um you know knowledge of how a company gets from being our size to double our size, like we haven't done that before. Yeah. yeah. Um, they have also like systems experience. You know, our systems they need updating, but you know, you don't want to just like a massive system implementation for a three hundred person company. Like, how great to have someone that's done ten of those before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So it's just it's just having someone, the support there, to say yes, that's a good idea, or we've made that mistake before, or what about this system? um and um yeah so there's just i think from a strategy perspective the same but the the i guess the chances of us hitting those now i just even more wow Mm -hmm.
0: is darren going to stay involved is he is he or Um,
1: (laughs) not from a kind of official perspective he's he he's sold out, but he's very much like, he came in to use our um, offices the other day for one of his like startup teams, like he's thinking of investing in, or, um, you know, we go out for drinks, like and he's very interested in the business, he's a big friend of the business, like he'll always help, like, you know, oh, I met this person that I told you to interview for Opus, or, um, but from an official capacity, you know, he's like, I think clean break, it means he can go and focus on his family, and he's got a small baby as well. It's
0: an amazing story though, it really is. The second sponsor are Vincere.io. Um, again, I don't think I need to explain Vincere. The, the CRM provider, the, the all-in-one CRM provider that are, I think are just gripping the market. This week alone, I've had three of my Hoxo clients tell me they've just signed up with Vincere. They've said the process was seamless, the service was excellent, um, and they've are the they they've gone out and met with all the other providers and decided on Vincere. The main bit of feedback was that they are they... They communicate their vision and their roadmap to the future much clearer than the others in the market. So if you're a recruitment agency that wants a, a CRM you can depend on that's going to grow with you, um, both in the UK and the US now as well, globally reaching, then reach out to the guys. They're giving away discounts to our listeners. So ww.vinchere.io forward slash rag. All the links are attached to the episode. Please check them out. I'm excited to see where you guys go um without without a doubt you'll achieve what you need to achieve before we do finish we've got a few minutes left like one of the parts of this season i, I know we've had loads to talk about but it's about the human side of being a, a leader of a business and you know we've talked about it you've in you become a parent in the pandemic you've you're not only achieving all this stuff but you, you know you, you being a mother potentially you know the the biggest job you'll ever do, and how are you managing that? How do you? What's your routine? How are you? Man, how are you making making it work for yourself?
1: Uh, I'm not sure I am. <laughs> um I feel very fortunate, and this probably I don't know if this is a bit controversial, but for me, the the pandemic came at a time that allowed me to really stop and think about those things and. Um, mm. You know, I think before I had Alba, that's my my daughter, I just assumed I'd take four months off, I'd go back to work. Hmm. You know, I'd love her so much and I'd see her as, as often as I can and I'd have to have a full-time nanny and all this stuff. And that's how it was. And actually, like, I... When she was four weeks old, we went into lockdown. And when it first happened, I was terrified because I, you know, I... I didn't even know what I was doing anyway. And then suddenly you can't have, you know, I think in the first, first pandemic, you weren't even, you weren't allowed to go to work unless you had did like five jobs. Yeah. And so I couldn't even have like the health visitors around. I couldn't have any, my mom, like any carers, any help with the house. So I was doing every, like had a four week old baby. I was doing everything. I was, with, and I was with her all day in a flat, mm. Um. like no guys. And my husband was working from home in the spare room. Wow. And so I had the, you know, just the the living room and the baby and that all day to sort of loud out once a day. Mm. And At first, I just thought I can't, I can't do this. And actually, as time went on, it it made me just like, like you had to, right, you had to like, just take it down a notch and just enjoy the small things. Mm. And then, like, I'd be like, just doing three hour walks in the park with her, mm. sitting and just like, Lying on the rug, looking at a little star toy, or just anything to like pass the time. And I think actually having that time, and then not—you know—I I did end up going back to work pretty early, but three days a week and all from home because of the pandemic. Yeah. So, and what it made me realize was actually I was I um bumped into someone I used to work with a couple of days ago when I was starting my first business and I was twenty six, and she was a mum, and I said to her like I saw her and I was like I want to apologize to you because I we always got on like I always did every you know I thought I understood I thought I was you know understanding of if she needed to leave earlier kid was sick or get a certain train or but I didn't understand like no. and I, I said to her I'm so so sorry that you didn't get more she was the only it was a startup team right so most people were like yeah whatever she was the only mum and I just I just don't think she got enough credit for like how much she had to do and how much she didn't and in those days that was back in 2014 you couldn't say i can't stay as late as everyone else because mm. i can't come in 5 days a week because i'm a mum no. it wasn't the done thing and i couldn't have known i could I, I know that i couldn't have known but looking back now i still feel the guilt yeah yeah her experience of having young children was like compared to what i've been able to experience because of the flexibility and the understanding that the pandemic's given people. And also because I run the company. And one of the first things I did when I got back was change the parental leave policy um, and all of these things and the flexibility. and Because actually what I realized was in the old days, like when you choose to like stop work for, to have a baby or like start work again, it's very sort of black and white, like I'm not oh, working, I'm with my baby or I am working. But actually, for me, spending three days a week where I could mentally engage in the real world again and talk to adults, even if on Zoom and think yeah. about something that I was interested in, but physically be with my child to feed her four times yeah. a day and still do bath time and have lunch with her and be close to her. And you know, if I had a break, take her for a walk was what I needed I didn't need to not do any work (laughs) like this Mm. thing the idea of like work-life balance it had to be work-life balance in the old days because work was a place you went not a thing you did yeah Yeah. and now I feel like if you love your job then actually that thing of like you know I felt I could go back to work earlier because I wasn't going anywhere
2: yeah yeah just
1: three days out of seven I wasn't a hundred percent focused on a baby (laughs) Mm. And for me, that was life saving.
0: <laughs> so where are you at? Where are you at with it now?
1: Um, so I um, am back. Two,
0: should be two years old in the new year, right?
1: She's two in February, um, and I work from home three days a week. Um, so five—that means like it, those days—I can always get up with her, do breakfast, take her to nursery if I like if I don't have an early meeting. Um, or if she's um, we have a childminder here some days so I can always see her through the day and I can always do like I'll unless I have to have a call with America at six or something I'll always try and take that sort of evening slot to do her dinner like do bath time read her story be left to put her to bed because I can always work after that if I need to but I think it's just the day doesn't have to be like, you go to work at this time, you come back from that time, and then that's when you're working and this is when you're not yeah. like, I'm running a company and that company has to grow. But I don't, I'm also raising a child, and she has to grow. And like if both of those things can happen, who cares what time I do what. Um, yeah. And that I guess that's sort of how I cope. But I know, no, I know not everyone has that. I'm trying. I'm trying to change policies at work so people understand they can do that, but it's still like it's, your company saying it's okay and feeling it's okay is a different. It's a different
0: thing two different things. Yeah.
1: I really want people to feel and like even stupid things like I'm so crap at running, but we have a we have a company Strava account. So if I mm. go for, if the only time I can exercise to keep myself sane, the only gap I have is eleven o'clock. If I go for a run at eleven o'clock, I'll put it on Strava. Not because I want everyone to know I run at seven kilometers an hour. But... <laughs>
0: That's quite quick for me. That would be good for me.
1: <laughs> but because I want to know that you can if you can go for a run whenever you want.
0: At 11 you know? o'clock, yeah. Do, so, do you know what, though? I still – I mean, I'm nowhere near the, the level of you. We've got, like, 35 people. But I still feel guilty in my own business at times doing something. Like, to be honest, I've not been off the phone. I've not been off of Zoom since 8 o'clock. I've had yeah, little same. gaps, but I've been on video since 8 a.m., and i've just had two cancellations between 2 and 4 so i'm going to go and do some exercise yeah. but to me that's still not that's not the time i would normally do it
1: right. i feel and i know
0: like there's something inbuilt in me to yeah. feel good. I, I already feel it now i've not even started
1: there is so many years ingrained in us yeah. of what work should be and if yeah. we and i'm the same like it put, even sometimes if i go for a run i put it on strava i feel I'm guilty yeah. like people are going to know i'm not like but if we don't do it it will never change.
0: No. I love um, that. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at that Strava account as a company. I've not done that. <laughs> I'm
1: gonna look at that. But I like we're not perfect and we've got so far to go, and I'm certainly not perfect. Like and every day I have a meltdown either about work or ALBA. Yeah. Um but I don't know, like we're just doing, all doing the best we can, aren't we? And I think as long as the company keeps growing and is doing good things and is doing what we want it to, like we don't have to kill ourselves um and it's that's something I'm trying to learn too like I'm saying it I'm saying it to you to make it true <laughs>
0: yeah yeah um,
1: but it is it's hard it's really hard but
0: um final question then is what is the point of it all for you right so you could I imagine financially you must be in a good position I'm sure you're not you know you're not you're not in a position where you're desperate to work for money you've got a you know a beautiful daughter you're in a stable situation. You've you've succeeded so. You've, you've created so many things already in your career. Why are you still fighting for growth? What is the what's burning inside to keep going?
1: I I wish I could answer that question. Um, I, I genuinely just love it. Like, mm. and I think I've always been. And I don't know if the word's ambitious because again, like like you say. I always that I wasn't, you know, I always thought I wanted to achieve a lot and like achieve more than, you know, my parents had and like, but as, you know, as achievement comes and money comes, I actually feel guilty about like, I actually feel a bit guilty about money. like, I'm not from a background where loads of people I know have loads of money. Yeah. And I just feel a bit guilty about it. Yeah. it. Like, oh, if I make more like, and we do this, and we do that, and we're really successful. I'm like, like actually makes me feel So so I know that's not what it is. Um, I think it's, I think I've always just like, if I'm doing something, I want it to do well. Like I want to do it well. Otherwise Mm. I feel like there's no point. And I think, I feel feel like what I'm doing now, what Opus is doing, what we're focusing on, the really good things we're doing, we're actually changing things in the industry, actually helping the industry. And I actually have come to a point now where I, I've put so much more of my focus on our charity partnerships so much more of our focus on like what we're doing internally for our people to support them and I feel like I've got to the point now where I finally feel comfortable in my own skin as a leader there were so many years where I didn't Mm. and I was playing other people's roles and it was a bit inauthentic and like I felt like I had to be a certain way because the people I worked with the guys that I worked for were that way and I finally feel like now I've become a mum and kind of taken the company over and i've taken it in the direction that feels like where i think it should go i, th- I think i feel like we can i can help change things now mm-hmm. i think i don't know it's hard though because then some days i just feel like an idiot so yeah.
0: i know i know that feeling i had a chat with my my coach and i speak to him every week and we you know we're talking about the future and vision and and, and he's like we talked about exiting one day and you know selling for x millions and all these things of, of ambition and he goes all right cool well then he said what what are you going to do tell me about your vision of that after that and when i actually explained it all what i actually and again i'm from a very humble background no money when i actually explained what i how i would live my life he goes i'm still waiting for the bit where you tell me you need millions of pounds like you've not got like i haven't got any aspirate i don't want to fly a jet i don't want to I don't want a Rolls Royce. I don't have any of these, th- so I'm like, she's like, why are you doing? It? I, like, I don't know. I the same thing as you, like, different scale perhaps. But does I, anyone? I get, does
1: anyone? Do you ask that much to other people? Does anyone know why they do want?
0: To do? Some people do, yeah. Like I've got a couple of other people I've interviewed, and they are very clear. Like I want to own a private jet, and I want to get this, and I want to have this house, and I want to. They're very, very clear on yeah. material. You know, I want to be richer than my parents. Some people say, like, there's things that they're... I don't have any of those things. So I don't, I, mm. I don't know. I mean, I'm fascinated by it. Um, Amy, I wish I could talk to you all day. It's been phenomenal, but I we've both got, got a
1: run to get on.
0: We've both got lots to do, yeah. I've got two dogs <laughs> in the background as well that are gonna be barking. But oh, you've got um, a really
1: slow jog to complete. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's an eight an eight kilometer uh, uh, whatever an hour run. Um can I just say thank you for giving us your time? Like it's it must be so busy in your life to give us that hour. Um if I'd love to have you back on in the future. Hopefully, it won't take two years this time. Just you know, uh, maybe a uh, year. Maybe look at twelve months' time. Let's get you back on uh, and see if you've you know where you've gone in that time. Um, if anyone does re- want to reach out to you, if anyone's read and thought you know what I need to ask a few questions, is LinkedIn the best place? Is that where yeah, you would say take-
1: probably? Because otherwise, I'm asking my personal details out.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'll tag you on everything. LinkedIn will be the place. But um, well, thanks again so much for for giving us your time. Um, and guys. Um, Thank you again for listening. Um, As I said, Amy's details are on everything, both live and on the podcast. So feel free to reach out um, and, uh, and ask any questions. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly, truly hope that you got value from it. That's the only reason I take time every week is to ensure that my audience, future, and existing recruitment owners are learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. Today's episode is brought to you by Hoxo Media. I am the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media, and we are the world's leading content marketing and personal branding agency for recruitment businesses specifically. So we are working with over 200 agencies and 2,000 recruiters right now, both managing the brands, producing content, building written video podcast content for niche recruitment agencies all over the world, as well as coaching at a desk level individual recruiters in your businesses how to be better on LinkedIn. That's how to brand themselves, that's how to produce content, that's how to use the opportunity on LinkedIn to get traffic to their profiles and turn that into business. We're coaching people all over the world every single day. If any of that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean Anderson, a personal message on LinkedIn and would love to talk to you. Tune in again next week, that's live on LinkedIn at 12 p.m. on Thursday, or you can catch the show on the following Monday from 6 a.m. on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'll see you soon.